Today's guest says sometimes you must look back just one last time in order to move forward. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. And I am pleased to introduce today's guest, Jody Prouse, who is the author of The Sun is Gone, A Sister Lost in Secrets, Shame, and Addiction, and How I Broke Free. Jody, welcome to Mind Talk. Thanks for having me. I'm really grateful to be here. Now, Jody, you're your bio um, attaches many titles to you, a daughter, a sister, a wife, a mother, an aunt, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, an advocate. Many of those hats, though, came with many tears, and some now, perhaps, with great joy. What do you say? I say that's very true, and, you know, I always like introducing myself like that because I don't think that's different than any other female out there in the world trying to maneuver through life. Um, We are so many different things to so many different people, aren't we? Indeed. And we do, in fact, wear lots of different hats. Yeah, yeah, we do. And I think many women, which, of course, is probably a whole other conversation, but many women don't think about themselves as wearing so many different hats. No, I, do, I don't think you realize it. And, and I certainly, and certainly with my story, um, I, I thought I had a handle on everything that was going on um, until I came crashing down also. And, then, and really understanding, um, and again, I think as women, that we, it's inbred in most of us that, that we look after other people. And sometimes we do that with the detriment of what's best for us individually. You begin The Sun is Gone with what I thought was a really interesting, stunning observation. You say, and I quote, I have known what the word alcoholic means since I was five years old. That is such a stunning, sad concept. You know, I think even now, you know, I'm... I'm almost 49 years old and I see people in families and I hear them talk and and all these secrets that are going on behind closed doors and especially when you know addiction and mental illness runs in our family and I think that parents and adults I think they're very naive in thinking that they're keeping these secrets they're not the little children are observing and they're listening, and all that's happening by you not sitting down and talking to them, it's just allowing our little minds of four, five, six years old to try and figure this out on our own. And sometimes we don't take the right lessons out of that. So that's very much one of my messages is talking to children because, you know, I was that little girl, and yes, as much as they tried to hide all this alcoholism in my family, um, oh, no, I was very much aware. And, you know, the, the, the truth is that there are adults uh, well into their adulthood who can't figure out the things under which secrets can, can be uh, uh, hidden. And so to imagine that a child or children would be able to figure it out in a healthy way just if you think about it from that perspective, of course you want to talk to your children. And of course you want to answer their questions. 
Yeah, and I think you don't realize. And and I do want to make one thing so clear. No one is doing any of this on purpose. You know, I grew up with a father that drank too much. My my uncle was a severe alcoholic. Um, my grandfather was an alcoholic and suffered with mental health issues. Um, these are illness. This is an illness, and um, no one is hurting and doing damage on purpose. But that damage is done sometimes. And you know, to use as an example, my brother and I. And it wasn't until much, much later in adulthood that I really understood the impact that that had on us. Um, you know, my brother would would also become another alcoholic in our family tree. You also speak early on um, in The Sun is Gone about the fact that your parents, they didn't beat you and your brother, but you said the scars remained. For him, would you say one of the scars was the alcoholism? Oh, my gosh, most definitely. You know, we're, I hear so many times, why, why does one child become an alcoholic? Why does somebody else not? And, you know, we have to understand we're all unique individuals. We're all, of course, I'm older. I'm able to comprehend what's going on a little bit more. And I think um, very much with my brother, and I didn't understand this until really just a couple of years, years ago, is we know so much more now about addiction and mental illness that it can be caused by childhood trauma and or sexual abuse. And these, these things that we see can cause anxiety, depression, more severe uh, mental health issues, and alcohol and drug addiction later in life. And I think if we had known that, and it goes back to if our family had talked about it, my brother could have got more, more help that he needed. Um, you know, instead of just people always saying, just stop drinking, just stop drinking, instead of getting to the bottom of why he was drinking. Exactly. And and certainly you and your brother clung to each other. There was a lot of chaos that would happen episodically in your household. And the two of you were a real buffer for each other. And it seems like you really took on the role of parenting your brother almost, protecting your brother. Yeah, I think, you know, when you talk about the, the lessons that, you know, we had violent fighting from our parents and um, seeing my father intoxicated and, you know, the arguments or having to flee the house in the middle of the night. Um, I, I just talked about how I think it affected my brother in his later years, but it affected me in a different way. For my whole life, I just, I didn't want my life to turn out that way. I just... Everything bad to me seemed to happen from alcohol. And so I, I went on com- the complete opposite end of the scale. And, yeah, we were, my brother Brett and I were best friends. Um, you know, I didn't understand it as much then, just where just our deep love for each other came from. And I think we felt safe when we were together. And he very much did depend on me. And so I think... That's one of the hardest things I've had to live with because as I thought he was dying from alcoholism, I just was obsessed with saving him. I felt it was my job, and um, and I was failing. And now, I mean, as as you talk about it, I know you know that it was not 
your job. But but so many people are in that place where they try to take on responsibility for the behavior of someone else. Oh, and you you know, and I understand that so well because your heart is in the right place. The person you love, um, you know, for me it was my brother, but it could be your spouse, it could be your daughter, it it could be your parents. And just the thought of them, every minute of every day is consumed with the thought that they're going to die. And that really does cloud your judgment as to doing what's actually best for yourself and best for them. Absolutely. And I was, I was trapped in that for a very, very long time. And it took, I'm still a work in progress, having to, you know, breaking those patterns of looking after my family members. You know, I'd been doing it for almost 40 years. And so it's very hard to finally find the courage to say no. To set those healthy limits that really we all need to be able to set in order to survive well. You you mentioned a moment ago those t- the fights between your mom and dad and and you as a child your mom your brother you having to flee the household um, yeah. only to return and you talk about the day when you were nine as being a day that you felt you said to yourself that it was the best day of your life you were nine years old what happened that day. Oh, and I, I still, 40 years ago, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And we came home, we had, we had had to go stay in a, you know, seedy hotel because we didn't have any money. And we came home in the morning and, you know, usually my dad was um, lying on the couch hungover and he wasn't there that day. And I walked up into the kitchen and I saw a note in his little squiggle handwriting and his wedding ring was sitting on top. And I don't write and talk about this in my book out of any disrespect for my father. But I wanted just to show the world how a child feels. And I remember standing there thinking, you know, my daddy's never coming back. And it was the happiest day of my life. That is just, I mean, it almost sends chills just to imagine that little nine-year-old girl, and that's the joy. That's the reason for the joy. Yeah, yeah, and doesn't mean that, that she doesn't love her daddy and all those things, but I didn't want the chaos. I wanted peace in our family, and I wanted happiness, and even in the, at that young age, I did have the consciousness to know that that we deserved that. At after your dad left, did life become more calm for your household? Oh my gosh, my my mother um, married the most remarkable man, our stepfather Ron, who who raised us. It couldn't have been more loving and stable and peaceful and calm and just normal. 
average. Um, they they never drank more than you know the occasional cocktail that that people do, and so it was a beautiful beautiful childhood. And you know it wasn't until later in life, you know my my brother's early twenties, that I started seeing signs that uh, I, I think he's in trouble uh, with alcohol. You you talk about though you for yourself at fourteen you were in the ninth grade. And you were sneaking out of the house. Unfortunately for the parents who are listening, 14-year-olds do that very often. What were you doing at 14 when you were sneaking out of the house? Where'd yeah. you go? I know because, you know, people look at me now and, and I said I, I always did have this this strict boundary for myself. of You know, I didn't want my life to turn out that way. And, and yes, although... We did have a wonderful childhood. Um, I think my own mom was never um, that attentive as to what, you know, the problems we were getting into and, and didn't, didn't really look into that. I was sneaking out of my house in the middle of the night. I was skipping school. Uh, I was drinking and getting into the bar about at 14. Um, and I was dabbling in, you know, marijuana at that time and, you know, getting high and, and being a rebel, rebellious teenager. But for myself, when I became in my early 20s, I just, you know, I eventually got married and, and I thought, okay, that, that part of my life is over. But there's a difference between myself and my brother and so many other people. My brother became addicted to alcohol and he couldn't stop. Uh, I never became addicted, and so for me it was just simply, okay, I'm, I'm growing up, and I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. There, there came a time um, early on in your marriage when your mother called you and asked you for help with your younger sister, Nicole. Once again, you were being challenged to be the caretaker for a sibling. What, what was going on then? Yeah, you know, I... I was 21 years old. I had just gotten married. I had a new baby. Um, and my, my mother got, ended up getting a divorce from my stepdad after all of us children kind of grew up. Uh, and Nicole was still at home. She was only 15 at the time. But she was struggling, I think, with the divorce. I mean, that was, you know, although we always saw our dad on, you know, some weekends, uh, Ron really was our father figure. And, and so... Understandably, Nicole was struggling, and my mom just couldn't handle it and asked me to live with her. And so here I am, this young newlywed in her early 20s, and having to go to the school and getting phoned by the police and just all these things of it, my sister just being out of control. And, you know, it caused stress in my marriage. And what I really think it did, though, she lived with us for a year before um, I said, I can't do this. And, um, I think it changed our sister-sister dynamic forever. We we have never been close since then. And and you're absolutely right. I think I was always put in the caretaker role. Um, and and my, my own mom, once again, she didn't do it on purpose. She doesn't even see that she did it. Um, so these are the things that I've had to come to terms with. I can't imagine the impact 
on your marriage. I mean, you are at that age, you're you're kind of still a baby yourself and you've had a baby and you're young in in your marriage and then you're so now you have two children, but one's a sibling. Yeah, and and all of a sudden I'm 21 and trying to look after a 15-year-old. Like, no, you're you're so right and I think you know, probably I'm going to tell you, I've been married to, to my husband for 27 years. Um, Congratulations, I made yeah. Thank you. I made so many mistakes on this journey. And for 20 of those years, I sadly put my mom, my sister, and my brother ahead of my own children as well, as, as well as my own husband. Uh, I very much was trapped in the patterns that had been put on me since I was a five- or six-year-old girl. What was your husband's reaction as a newlywed when he discovered that you were going to take on the responsibility for his sister-in-law, a 15-year-old? If I'm being really honest, I I don't think... Like now we, you know, with all this that's happened and the therapy and all those things, we, we communicate so much more now. And we have for probably, you know, for years and years. But, but back then you're so young, you don't realize you're doing it. You know, it, it isn't my husband just kept it isn't that at 22 my husband ever would have said, Jody, this isn't your responsibility. And he just accepted it is the way that it was. And I think that shows a lot about young people, right? And and we don't have all the answers, and or any or anybody, and and why therapy is so important um, because they help you figure all that out. Um, I I don't think you see it. You love your family. You'll do anything for them. The again the the notion, and I know this is important for you to to underscore with the listeners and and the readers of the sun is gone limits are a healthy endeavor and they're healthy not only for you as the family member but also for the individual who was really challenged by the addiction and you know it's real easy not to see that to actually think that setting limits is cruel and selfish and it's not at all Oh, and I hear that. You know, I I had to, for six years, I neglected everything. My job, you know, so my career, my health, my own health, my children, my husband, just obsessed for six years with saving the brother that I loved so very, very much. And, you know, finally, finally, I, I did what was right, and I set a healthy boundary. Um, it didn't mean I wasn't there to help him, but a healthy boundary in a healthy way. And I, and I worked hard with a, with a therapist to figure out what that was, but people make you feel like you're abandoning them. Yes. And that is not what you are doing. And so you don't buy into anybody that makes you feel that way. You know, I, I just saying no to somebody can be just the most kindest, compassionate, most wonderful thing you can do. And again, not something that a lot of folks understand uh, 
is is much healthier than becoming the go-to person for the person who's dealing with an addiction. There was a time when your brother took you to a meeting and he said something and you cried. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, I'd like for you to, to tell us about that meeting and that moment. Jody, the meeting that your brother took you to, what was that meeting? Well, he was, I think at the time, 20 or 21 years old, and he stopped by my house, and he said, I have a favor to ask you. And, you know, we're best friends, so he had to ask favors all the time, and so he wanted me to go somewhere with him. And, you know, we're driving, and I'm thinking, I'm, you know, I'm kind of anxious and excited, like, you know, what's the surprise? And... um. We drove about 10 or 15 minutes, and we pulled into this building. And when we got there, there was a bunch of people kind of, I could tell they knew each other, and they were visiting. And, and I still can't believe I didn't, I didn't even figure out where we were. But we started um, all sitting down, and one by one, everybody said their name. And then they got to my brother, and he said, Hi, my name is Brett, and I'm an alcoholic. And I just was the stranger, just hysterical, gasping for breath, crying so hard as my worst fear um, was coming true. And I had no idea he had a drinking problem. I mean, I, he drank no different than, than anyone, any other child, let's say, um, that's 20 or 21. And, um, but sadly, I'm, I'm going to say after that, after that AA meeting, it, he never mentioned it again for probably six or seven years until I acknowledged I, I thought something was seriously wrong. Yeah, and I very much, you know, and even I, you know, I raised two sons now that are adults. They're 24 and 26 years old, and, and even I know for them. I have talked openly and honestly. I've talked about what runs in our family. I have talked about why I view alcohol in a certain way. And that they always should be so aware, you know, especially because there is a heredity component. And, but I even know with my own sons, you know, the choices they make with the tools and the education I gave them, um, that's, that's on them. That, that is not on me. Um, and, and so that, that's a powerful lesson I, I, I even took away from, from my own story. You know, instead of just believing you're just responsible for these, these people that you love. You say that even as of the the writing of your book, at the time that you actually wrote The Sun is Gone, your mother and your sister Nicole were mm-hmm. still saying that you did not do enough for your brother. It was Am I understanding that correctly? Is that what they said? Well, that's what they said even from that. That's, and I think that happens in a lot of families. You see the fighting and, 
people don't want to admit someone is an addict in the family. And so they start to shift the blame, and then the fighting starts amongst them. And, and I don't think um, we're unique in that way. But, yeah, when I set that boundary, it, it, and to this day, um, my mother and I are, are still estranged, and we will be forever, um, that I abandoned my family and I deserted my brother. And, you know, I know enough now to know just because my mother says it does not make it true. Mm. But I want to say it's never too late to forgive. I had been estranged from my sister for eight years, and she read the book. And she contacted me and said it was the most beautiful thing she's ever written, uh, read and that she never saw any of it through my eyes. And I think that's the message for people, that we can, you know, forgive and have hope and love and healing um, and that we all are imperfect and make mistakes. What an extraordinary conversation between you and your sister after she read the book. Absolutely. You say, we are not promised that it is easy. We are promised that it is possible. Yep. And we're not. It change is scary and change is hard. And that is not just about addiction. That is about anything we're going through in life. But change takes changing. And I think that's the answer. For those listening, what would you say is a first and second step to take if they have a loved one who is dealing with this kind of challenge? I, I think the most important part And it is what I would do first. I would get help for myself first. The very first thing. We're so concentrated on the person that is sick that we don't see we need help. So get help for yourself first by someone that specializes in alcohol, drug addiction, or mental illness, or whatever you're going through. And then get help for your loved one as well. And listen to the the advice of the professionals. Do exactly what they say, even if that's not what your heart is telling you to do. And that can be the hardest part. That is the hardest part. It, it is, but you have to know that, that you're doing it out of love. Jody Prowse, author of The Sun is Gone, A Sister Lost in Secrets, Shame, and Addiction, and How... I broke free. Jody, is there a website folks can go to? Absolutely. They, you, they can get it on Amazon or my website, which is jodyprouse.com, J-O-D-E-E-P-R-O-U-S-E.com. Terrific. Jody, thank you again for, for this book and for the compassion and the bravery with which you approached this very personal, very important topic. Thank you so much, and I am just wishing love and happiness and courage to all your listeners. Thank you.
And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk comes to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you might choose to do with a licensed medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. It is available to you on demand by going to my. N-D-T-A-L-K dot org. You can also download the Mind Talk app from uh, iTunes or Google Play. I would love to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments that you would like to share about this or any conversation you hear on Mind Talk, my email address is Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. That is M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care. Thank you.